The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Amen. Good morning, church. I could, uh, could tell you guys missed that too. <laughs> Whew, amen. But we're back. Amen. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. We're in verses 32 through 52 today. Uh, I praise God for the recovery of all of our folks that tested positive uh, for COVID. And, and I just want to say I'm thankful for all of you uh, working with us as we did our best to uh, manage the situation both faithfully and, and safely over the last couple of weeks. Also, just quickly, I'd like to thank uh, Brother Adam Flanagan for manning the entire AV booth back there by himself last week. So thanks, bro. You're a champion. Appreciate you. Uh, yeah, that was weak sauce. <laughs> okay. So typically, if the person speaking gives a little clap, that's a cue for you to do it. I know I haven't trained you guys how to do this yet. We'll get it, though. All right. Uh, but as thankful as I am to Adam for his service to all of us in doing that last week, um, preaching to a camera and his forehead, uh, which is all I can see back there, is, is not quite the same uh, as having the privilege of being here in the room with you guys. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to get into the scriptures with you today. I hope you are too. Uh, I, I intend to preach God's word today like a dying man to dying men. Uh, but I also want you guys to know that uh, it's on you to make sure there's, there's some amens and some excitement about these scriptures reflecting back at me today, okay? So hope uh, a couple weeks off you didn't forget how that goes. And also, if you're joining us by the live stream this morning, I want to say welcome. We're so thankful for you as well. Uh, and I want to encourage you all to uh, not be shy when the beauty and the majesty and the power of, of God's word hits you today as we anticipate that it will. Uh, we encourage you to type amen. Uh, use exclamation points or emojis if you're feeling really wild even, okay? Uh, but let us know that you're there and that you're participating in this banquet that the Lord has prepared for all of us this morning. Uh, like I said, we are in Mark chapter 10. We're looking at verses 32 through 52. We're continuing in our series uh, called Servant King, and today we're going to hit another set of verses that will make it clear why we've named this study through the book of Mark the way that we have. Uh, I'll be right, right there in our face, okay? So, as I said, I hope you found Mark 10. We're doing chapter, th- or, uh, sorry, verse 32 through 52, okay? Here we go. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. Jesus said to 
to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten begin to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Praise God for his word. Amen. Whew, all right. Now, this, this is another time that as we read, uh, it, it may look on the surface like several unrelated accounts, but I'm telling you that there's, there's a linchpin in here connecting it all together. That's, it's going to get those of you who, who see the, the divine reality of the Bible's gospel centrality, those of you who see that, care about that, it's going to get you really fired up. I promise, okay? That's, that's a teaser, all right? But let's, let's do this right. Let's start from the beginning and let's build, okay? All right, so back to verses 32 through 34. They were on the road up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking on ahead of them, okay? So they're on their way to Jerusalem. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lob you the biggest softball, open book test question maybe ever in history, okay? Here's what it is. Why, is. why is this significant? What do we know is going to happen in Jerusalem? If you got it and you're not scared, go ahead and yell it out. What's going to happen? He's going to be arrested and what? Crucified, right? He's, this is leading up to the passion, right? So what, what is it? this is the crescendo of Christ's earthly ministry and purpose. I said it was open book because the, the very next verse that we're about to read tells us exactly what's going to happen because Je- Jesus is telling his people what's going to happen, right? So, so he gives the disciples the most detail about this, this passion that's coming, right? This event that's coming of his, his death and resurrection. He gives them the most details so far here. Uh, he had already told them in chapter 8, verse 31 of Mark, and in 9, verse 31 Chapter 9, verse 31, I don't know what's going on there. I I didn't have time to bust out my numerology chart, but I'm just kidding. I don't have one of those. Uh, (laughs) But but it is interesting, right? 831, 931, both are the places where two other times Jesus said basically the same thing, sands some details. Uh, Here, what he tells them is is even more about how it's going to go down. Uh, and, And it would have been almost inconceivable to the disciples that the religious leaders would hand the Messiah over to the Gentiles 
Because keep in mind, the Gentiles in this case were the Roman occupiers, right? So it's, it's the very ones who had subjugated their people. This doesn't make any sense. Why would our religious leaders take our Messiah and give him to the Romans? It, it's, so I'm trying to give, a, give the disciples a little bit of credit here for <clears throat> what appears to be a, a fairly high level of density at this point, okay? Um, Jesus also here, that we don't see in those other uh, places where he begins to pull the curtain back on what's about to happen, he goes into greater detail about the shame that he will endure at the hands of those who kill him. And I, I think this is maybe a, a less thought about and, and talked about element of how Jesus served us. Because when we think of the physical pain and the brutality that he endured at the hands of those who tortured him, it can make the shame of being stripped naked and mocked and spit upon seem of, of less importance. Here's the thing, it isn't though. It is vitally important for us to remember these elements because at least for one reason is that many of us, for many of us, shame is, is the most likely way we will have the honor of sharing in his suffering. The time is coming and, and is already upon us where standing up in a public way and declaring our belief that God's word is true regarding big questions like our origin and purpose or what leads to human flourishing in terms of morality. And, and even where real hope can be found, to stand up in a public way and say we believe what the Bible teaches about those things, it can open us up to much scorn and scoffing. But we have to remember that whatever shame the spiritually blind may hurl upon us, it pales in comparison to what our Savior endured. This, must, this idea, it must have been in the mind's of the apostles in Acts 5, when they were ordered to stop speaking in the name of Jesus by the council of religious leaders, and then they were beaten publicly, humiliated. And I'm saying this had to have been in their mind, because right after that, after their drug in front of the council, the Bible says flogged, publicly humiliated, told to go out, don't preach about Jesus anymore. Right after that, these, this is the next couple verses in Acts 5. I'm starting in verse 41. So they get beat, and then they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Come on. And every day, remember, what they beat him and tell him? Don't talk about Jesus anymore. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus as the Christ. <laughs> Man, I like those verses. That is awesome. It's, I don't know. I don't know if Luke was trying to be sassy as he wrote it, or, or they felt sassy when they were doing it, but I feel sassy reading it. I like it, man. That's good. <laughs> Amen. Now, let, let me make this quick distinction. It's real important. They suffered shame... Specifically, it says, for preaching the good news of Jesus as the Christ, okay? Not running around pasting the name of Jesus on their preferred political ideology. 
Amen. Because scorn brought on by that nonsense is, is not the same as suffering shame for his name. Okay? Make sure we're clear on that. And as we consider this idea, right, let us also not forget the, the more intense sufferings of brothers and sisters in, in places like Nigeria, just for example, where on average 10 Christians a day are murdered simply for their faith. Today, that's a current, running, active stat. Because if, if we were to let the weight and reality of that hit us as it should, and, and we prayed often for the family of God, striving to stand faithfully in those circumstances, it would surely help our perspective as we navigate our own struggles. Amen. Verses 35 through 40. Here we have the big ask from the brothers and, and the response from Jesus. So let's just look at it again quickly. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Are you glad you didn't have to read that in front of people? That's fun. I'm going to do it again. They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom has been prepared. Jesus being the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, I wonder if he said certain things a certain way because he knew his sons later on would have to preach it and read it in front of people. A little joke on us. I could see him doing that. I'm not mad at him. So, uh, here's, what do we see here? For, for this question, for this question, from James and John to come on the heels of the words we just read from Jesus about his suffering and his torture and, and the shame he would endure, dying and, and, and rising. For, for this question they asked to come on the heels of those words, it, it lends credibility to what several commentators have guessed about the apostles' level of understanding at this point. There's, there's many who propose that what Jesus said here about being handed over to the Gentiles, tortured, killed, and then, and then rising again, it was so far outside of the disciples' expectations that, that they, they likely thought it was another parable that they just weren't able to understand. And that... Is, is lent even more credibility when you go back to 931 or 831. It's in 931, it basically it talks about the disciples kind of being like, we're afraid to ask him about that. <laughs> Which would make sense, because in 831, when Peter piped up and started saying what he had to say about it, you know, he, Jesus told him, get the behind me, Satan, right? So, <laughs> made, made a little hesitation there on, maybe when he talks like that, we'll just let it be, <laughs> right? Uh, but, but definitely, this shouldn't have been the response. <laughs> this question should not have been what came after that. <clears throat> and this idea that that's where they were, thinking this was just a parable, or that can't be what he means, it makes sense, because if, if they took his words literally, as he meant them, how could they possibly follow that up with, hey, teacher, we want you to do something for us. Yeah, that's not the one, guys. <laughs> that's not it. And, and, 
kind of the audacity of that, the almost ridiculous nature of that being their question right after these words from the Lord. I just want to point out the patience of Jesus. I mean, my goodness. Back in chapter 9 when he talked like this, that was the last time that the fellows got in a discussion about who would be greatest among them. And here we go again. What? And, and here's what I want you to see. Instead of taking his sandal off and just thumping the mess out of them, which I, I think would be justified at this point, right? How many of you had a mama that could reach a sandal and get to you quick, right? You know what I'm talking about. That sandal was not to be trifled with. <laughs> Not talking back when it was summertime and there was sandal weather. Instead of doing that, right, he, he gently tries to wake them up to the reality of what they're asking. The gentleness here, the compassion, the, the patience of, of Jesus, it, man, it's convicting for me. I don't, you guys are probably all pretty close to this patient and gentle and kind and lovely already, but I'm, I'm still growing, so this, is, this hits me right in the heart, man. I need, I need to be better at this. I need Jesus' help with this. There, there is no way that they knew what it would mean when they answered, when Jesus said, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized? There's no way they knew what they were saying when they said, we are able. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Because here's the reality of how it played out for James and John. Acts 12 tells us that James was the first apostle to be martyred, killed with a sword at the command of King Herod. And though he didn't die from it, reliable sources say John was boiled in oil before being exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he received the revelation. I'm not sure if surviving being boiled in oil is the best outcome, to be quite honest, but... Here's, here's the, the reality. Even though both these men would suffer greatly, and Jesus alludes to that here, for their allegiance to King Jesus, he still could not grant their request that they sit on his right and on his left. And when, when we go forward and we read the book of Acts and where we see more about the, the ministry of James and, and we read the writings of John, it seems likely that after they had the opportunity to see Jesus die on the cross and rise from the grave, and after they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it's likely these brothers would have no longer made such a selfish request, which I believe illustrates a, a really precious point that Jesus will always give us what we would ask for if we knew everything he knows. Amen. Verse 41. Hearing this, the ten begin to feel indignant with James and John, calling them to himself. Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
this, this big ask here from James and John, it does not lead to the rest of the team feeling warm and fuzzy. Okay? In fact, it, it stirs up strife and jealousy among all of them, which I contend would be another worthy occasion for Jesus to do some sandal smacking. But he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. He calls them close to gently teach them instead. And, and Jesus calling them to himself, it may seem like a, a minor detail, but it hints at, at least, a, a very important truth. That truth is that religion without relationship, it, it can make you a servant. But truly being close to Jesus is the only way possible to be a joy-filled and selfless servant. Jesus didn't yell at him from a distance. He said, come here, boys. Come here. Get close. we got to talk. I need you close to me for this. It's only going to make sense if you're near me. I think that was probably practical because of sound waves, but also there's a, there's a deeper meaning there as well. Okay? Verses 42 through 45, which I just read you. Jesus, he takes this opportunity to explain to his friends again the inside-out and upside-down orientation of his kingdom. And he uses the most extreme and perfect illustration possible. What is it? It's himself. Himself. What does he say? Even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, as, as if to say, even me, the eternal word by which all things were created, even I came to serve instead of to be served. If he who is the highest can come and make himself the lowest, there is nowhere for us to run and hide from the implication that we are also called to be servants. You're in between there somewhere, you understand. <laughs> There's... There's no way you could see yourself as, as high as him, and you can't get as low as him. And so there should be nobody that you can put your eyes on that you would struggle to, to, to be willing to get low to serve, because the highest already went the lowest. You're, you're not covering any ground he hasn't already covered. Amen. And, and this is especially true. The last, the last words here are especially true. When you realize that his life paid your ransom. If we struggle with being servants, if we struggle with being joy-filled, humble servants, selfless servants, then, then likely part of the issue is we have not thought enough, rejoiced enough in the beautiful truth that his life paid our ransom. Your ransom, my ransom. What does that mean? You know, <clears throat> many, many states that, that have the death penalty, they, they also have a provision for the governor of the state to pardon prisoners or to offer them clemency. And, and that effectively saves their lives from that death sentence. And, and this, this power has been executed, this this. Movement has been used 294 times in the United States since the year 1976. 
So 294 times, governors have used the power that their state constitution allows them to pardon or offer clemency to someone on death row. My question to us today is this. I wonder how many of those 294 people would have been shown the same type of mercy if the only way that governors could stop their death sentence was to take their punishment for them. My guess is probably zero. And some may say, well, come on, man, that's a false equivalency. That's ridiculous to even propose. Why would the man or the woman with the most power over an entire state die in the place of a convicted criminal? I would say that's, that's a great question. It's a great question, and it barely scratches the surface of helping us conceptualize the scandal that is the perfect Lamb of God, the King of all creation, taking the punishment we deserve in order that we may go free. And, and why is that? Some of you may be thinking through this. Why is that? Why didn't God... Do what governors sometimes do and just pardon people. Why did Jesus have to suffer our sentence for us to be saved? And the truth is it comes down to the character of God because God is not only perfectly loving, merciful, and kind. He is also perfectly just. And so he must punish sin. But the beauty of the cross is that instead of crushing us under the weight of his holy wrath, he took the hit himself. Amen. Praise God. That brings us to verses 46 through 52. We'll read it one more time. When they came to Jericho, just so there's no confusion, some of you might be thinking, hey, um, I remember a story about people shouting and walls falling down, so what, what is this? So this is, there was the ruins of Jericho. This was down the road a piece, and uh, Herod and, and some other leaders had built basically a winter palace here. It was almost kind of like a resort area. Um, so this is, you know, this is like Hebrew Cancun, all right? That's where we're at, okay? So... <laughs> the, <laughs> So then they came to Jericho, and as he, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. <clears throat> oh, sorry, I, get ch- I, don't know, I don't even know why I get choked up a little bit. Um, Bartimaeus calling him Rabboni. The only other time you see that is Mary Magdalene after he rises. Man, something precious in that, isn't there? Mm. It means master. Mm. There's a lot of affection in it. Can't wait to calm that myself. 
Need a second? Sorry. All right. So it turns out that Bartimaeus sees things more clearly than many of us with two good eyes. Bartimaeus is a baller. I just want to say that. And I'm not sure why he doesn't get more consideration in the, in the Bible baby name book. I just want some of you to consider that, all right? <laughs> I think he should. This dude is a baller. I'm convicted all up and down and encouraged by this guy. Bartimaeus. Maybe it's because Bart Simpson, you know, we all got that. So when we know what the short name Bartimaeus is going to be, it's like, well, I don't know. Bartimaeus was around long before Bart Simpson, so just, just pray on it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you <laughs> I'm going to give you three things that blind Bartimaeus could see that many often miss. Three things. First, Jesus cares about those the world would discard. Jesus cares about those the world would discard. I want you to notice something about Jesus here. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, so we talked about what that means. Jesus wasn't too busy to stop and minister to this man, even though he was on his way to the most important event in the history of the world. Okay, so that says something, first of all, about the character and the quality of Jesus and his compassion, but I think it's also informative and instructive to us as those who seek to follow him. Okay, how often... Have we missed opportunities to minister to others because we fancy ourselves too busy for various reasons? Uh, it should not be, okay? Um, and, and, and this idea that, that Bartimaeus saw that Jesus cares about those the world would discard, we see, we see that also in the fact that Bartimaeus was not going to let others keep him from getting to Jesus. He wasn't going to do it. He Look, I think, you know, the Bible, it, the, the source material for Mark, many think probably came from Peter. And so, you know, there's, we get recorded here what we need from the Lord in order to come to faith in Christ and know how to follow him. But there's, there's, surely there's details that, that didn't make it. And I just, I imagine, like Bartimaeus is a little ways off right now, and so they can hear him yelling. But in my mind, and this, this is just my imagination, so whatever, I'm just going to share it with you. I just imagine there may have been a little bit more to the conversation, right? Because Bartimaeus starts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then, and then we know here, somebody heard that, that there was folks around saying to Bartimaeus, like, hey, Bartimaeus, shut up. Shut up, man, don't bother him. And I can just imagine Bartimaeus, like he maybe didn't yell this part, but just being like, hey, hey, you can kick rocks. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, like, what? <laughs> What's up? And then imagine the faces of those that were like, hey, Bartimaeus, shut up, when Jesus stops and says, call him to me. And then it says Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside, jumped up, and went to Jesus. <laughs> Could you imagine the strut on that? That's awesome. Anyways, I like it. Here's, here's what we should see, okay, from that. Bartimaeus, he's showing us, man, whether it's people trying to shame you about putting all of your hope in Jesus, or, or trying to convince you you're not worthy to approach him, or even, even maybe, maybe it's Christians who've let you down because of their sin. Here's, here's the point. Don't let anybody keep you from Jesus. 
Nobody. Tell them to kick rocks, man. Jesus wants you to come close to him, and he cares for you. Even if others would have discarded you. It has no bearing on how he's going to treat you and what he wants from you. He wants you, precious one, come on. Just so that there's no confusion, and maybe this isn't real clear for everyone, why, why was Bartimaeus yelling, son of David? It, it, was, it was a messianic term, because uh, just like the genealogies in, in Luke and Matthew show us, Jesus was a descendant of King David, and this is prophesied. This is why you see references to David's throne being everlasting in places like 2 Samuel 7. That everlasting throne that God promised to David was fulfilled in Christ because <clears throat> Christ's throne ain't moving. Come on. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Amen. I mean, that, really, Christ is the only one that could fulfill a promise like that. I'm not sure everyone knew what that meant back in 2 Samuel, but hallelujah, we know now. Amen. So the first thing that Bartimaeus can see that many of us miss is that Jesus cares about those the world would discard. The second thing uh, I want you to see is that uh, Bartimaeus could see that God responds to persistent prayers. God responds to persistent prayers. Uh, Luke 11, Jesus tells the parable of the friend beating on his neighbor's door at midnight. He's asking for bread because he had friends show up, right? So goes over to his neighbor's house, beating on the door at midnight. And, and Jesus says, even if the guy whose door is getting beat on won't open up and give him the bread because they're friends, he will because of the guy's persistency. Because the guy won't stop knocking on the door. And this is all, I'm not stretching for anything, the, the whole point that Jesus is teaching about prayer. Okay? Uh, Luke 18, Jesus tells of a, a godless judge who eventually gives justice to a widow who won't stop bugging him about it. And it, it says clearly that the judge thinks to himself, I'm, I don't fear God, I don't respect anybody really, but this widow's not going to stop bothering me, so I'm, I'm going to give her what she's asking for. And, and, and then Jesus contrasts that with, with God. You know, God's not like that, but he says, but won't, if that's true, isn't that true? That widow keeps bugging, even this godless guy who doesn't respect anybody, if he'll do that, surely won't God bring justice to the elect who cry out day and night? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to keep on praying. Right? I think, I think Bartimaeus had some insight on this. I, if, if Jesus didn't stop and say, call him to me right when he did, I think Bartimaeus had 25, 30 more. Son of David! Have mercy on me is in him. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he was stopping. And here's what we want to see, friends. Here's what the encouragement is. When our prayers are humbly submitted to the will of God, he is not put off by our persistence. He delights in it. He delights in it. That we would pursue him in that way. Sometimes there's something for us in that process of continuing to trust him in faith. And to pray persistent prayers. They must be aligned with his will. They must be prayed with right motives. Right? Because we saw James and John didn't get their request. Their motives were jacked. Okay? Bartimaeus got his though. 
Go ahead. Come on now. The third thing Bartimaeus could see that we often miss is that anything good we receive from God is the result of his mercy. Anything good we receive from God is the result of his mercy. Now remember all the way at the beginning I gave you a teaser. I said, you remember, there's a linchpin that ties all of this together. Because you might think, okay, talking about Jerusalem, and then we got this question from James and John, and then you jump to Bartimaeus, and you know, it's just, it's a bunch of different stuff, isn't it? Well, no, it's not, okay? Let me show you something. Let me show you this linchpin that connects the two. Let's read verse 36, okay? First, what does it say? This is, so, James and John, hey, hey, teacher, we want you to do something for us. Do us whatever we ask of you. And here's Jesus' response to them, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, let's look at verse 50. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus, 51. And answering him, Jesus said, what did he say? This looks familiar. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Same exact wording. Two requests. Here's the thing. Unlike James and John at this point, right? I think they get it later, right? Post-crucifixion, resurrection, and indwelling by the Holy Spirit. But somehow Bartimaeus in his blindness understood. He understood the bad news. That God didn't owe him anything. Which is the only posture from which we can hope to receive anything from the Lord. How do we know that? How do we know that? We know that because Bartimaeus didn't yell out, Son of David, I have a right to regain my sight. I have a right to good sight. Bartimaeus knew it would be God's mercy on him to regain it. Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus was hoping for the light to be restored to his physical eyes. But knowing that we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it is the only way we can ever behold the light of salvation with our spiritual eyes. It's the only way. Bartimaeus knew his only hope was to receive mercy from Jesus. And once he had, then he was able to follow him. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Friends, the gospel is infused all through this account. And we see the contrast between coming to God as someone who thinks that they deserve, have a right to something from him. That's James and John's posture at this point, isn't it? Teacher, we want you to do something for us. We want you to, as a matter of fact, we want you to do anything we ask. What is, what is that smack of? What, what, what aroma comes off of that statement? Entitlement, pride, self-righteousness. And what did they get? Nothing. Son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus was able to meet him there. He was able to receive from the Lord. Friends, we can't open our own blind eyes. Only Christ can do that. 
But once we get a glimpse of the light and love of God, we would have to be fools not to follow him. And that's the way this should go. It's not us trying to do enough to feel like we would be worthy to come to Jesus and make some request of him. It's knowing that when we come to him, we are fully, completely, and totally at his mercy. Receiving salvation and righteousness as a gift. And then we have his power, his help, and his strength. His wisdom to begin to follow him. To begin to join him in his mission of loving and helping others. And keeping that all in mind, my prayer for us today, friends, is that, that all of us would have eyes to see and once we're set free from fumbling in the dark, that we would spend our lives being light in this world, leading those still blind to the one who can heal them. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this last section of Mark 10. Thank you for the linchpin. Thank you for showing us today. Uh, we don't want to, but if we wanted, even if we wanted to, we can't get away from the gospel centrality of your word. That even in this, these seemingly unrelated stories, Lord, there's, there's a pin that connects them. We see the contrast between coming to you in self-righteousness and pride and coming to you humbly knowing that we are in need of your mercy. Thank you for the freedom that comes in your gospel. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to continue to strive on our own to reach some arbitrary level of self-righteousness where we think now we can come to you. But we, we know we can, we can come to you with all of our brokenness and all of our blindness and, and all of our hopelessness, God. We can come to you and know that you're a God of mercy. That wretches like that People, people like that that the world would just discard, that you want to draw us close. You want to bring us near. And you want to do for us and in us what only you can do. And so we magnify and exalt you, and we thank you, and we love you. And we, Lord, we just want to acknowledge that whatever love we really have for you, it's, it's, it's only reflection back to you. It's, it's only possible because you have shown us in vibrant, glorious, beautiful terms what love really looks like. And so we're imperfectly, Lord, we're trying to obey your command to love you in return and to love one another. And God, we're, we're asking for your help. We want to continue to grow in that. We want to grow in gentleness and kindness. And we want to, want to be quick to forgive. And, and we want to be slow to anger and, and be thoughtful, love-motivated listeners. Lord, we need all of that, especially in the landscape we find ourselves navigating today. But God, I take great courage and, and comfort knowing that uh, you're right here with us. That's the key. If you're with us, Lord, we have nothing to fear. We move forward in faith in hope and with joy. We exalt and worship and declare your greatness, Lord. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.